Welcome to the Up The Cream podcast episode 3. I'm Dan Thomas and I'm joined again by Rich Harrison, a.k.a. Pommy. Rich, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, you're a bit of a crisis, aren't you, at the minute in uh, northern New South Wales? Yeah, yeah. Um, on flood watch at the moment. Um, we've had um, 450 mils of rain in the last week. So that's what, um, 18 inches-ish? 16 inches of rain so yeah we're um all the rivers have burst the banks there's towns that are completely cut off um this the place i live has been just about three quarters um completely evacuated but we're, we're a little bit further up we're higher ground so we're all right but yeah most of the town centers uh, underwater at the moment all the shops are closed and all the pubs are closed and the restaurants are all because um, all the restaurants are down the riverside are on the beaches so they're all underwater at the moment so yeah not great not great at the moment mate but uh we'll get through it you know this uh, this time 18 months ago we were on fire and now we're too damp to burn so it's just one of the prices you pay for living in paradise Aye. Uh, it's crazy stuff one extreme to the other yeah yeah it's yeah and, and the worst thing is it's the the bushfires have probably added to the problem here because it bent all the scrub and everything and and um, so all the stuff that would normally have have absorbed a lot of the water isn't there anymore. So it's just just dead land. So it just rolls off and rolls into the river system, and then you know the rivers burst the banks. And, and yeah, so it's probably it's probably not helped that we had the bushfires before either. So yeah, it's just one of those things, mate. It's kind of perfect storms. That's probably not the best way to entice our listeners, all three of them, on if they're ever thinking of immigrating to Australia. Yeah, you got a concern with bushfires. You've got to contend with, you know, crazy weather, floods, rain, you name yeah. it. But it's not all bad. You have got, you know, 16 NRL clubs, or what, 15 NRL clubs over there in New Zealand. Uh, uh, you've also got, you know, Paradise, you've got Sydney, you've got Brisbane. You've, yeah. You know, you've, it's not a bad place. I've been there. I liked it. Yeah. And look, to be honest, I think, I think that's the kind of outsider's view of Australia, mate, is that, you know, it's all Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. But Perth's stunning. Um, Adelaide's a really nice town. Tasmania's unbelievable. It's idyllic. Um, north of Queensland is is unbelievable, except that everything up there wants to bite, sting, attack, or kill you. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, the place is the place is stunning. I mean, I'm I'm in a little town that's probably halfway between Sydney and Brisbane. And when I say halfway, and that's the other thing, Aussies will never tell you distance; they'll tell you time. So you, I can't tell you how many kilometres or how many miles it is from Sydney or Brisbane. I can tell you Brisbane's seven hours north and Sydney is six hours south. Um, that's if you're driving at full speed on the highway. So, you know, I mean, like, you can drive from the top of New South Wales to the bottom of New South Wales for 18 hours and still be in the same state. If you did that from Hull, you'd be in the north of Africa. <laughs> so you could have driven all the way through England and all the way through France in that time. So, yeah, it, it's... it's, it's the scale of the place is what's the most impressive it's enormous and there's nobody here you know like 23 24 million people in a place that's eight times the size of england which is crazy i mean it's, it's bigger than europe yeah. in australia it can fit inside yeah. europe there that's how yeah. big it is it's nuts um i know sydney's had it pretty bad aren't it um with the weather as well, so uh, my yeah. obviously your favourite person on the planet, Ivan Clear, is had to relocate. 
yeah, yeah, a bit of karma there for for Ivan. But um, yeah, the the Nepean River at um, at Penrith, Bursley's Banks, and the Warragamba Dam that supplies all of Australia, or all of New, um, Sydney's drinking water, um, is um, has spilled out as well, and that's that's actually come over to the top, and um, that's that's spilling the equivalent of a Sydney harbour into the Nepean River every hour. So all of that Western Sydney area is really under threat now. So, yeah, it's been it's been pretty horrific to be honest. It's it's this weird weather system um, that we seem to have got this year, um, and we've been damp. Of of Christmas was wet and rainy, and and everything's been been. It's been a cooler summer, thank God, after the the one we had last time. But it's been a cooler summer and then a wetter summer. But then it just means that when you do get a big downpour like this. The ground's already saturated, so there's nowhere for the rain to go except kind of sit there and and flood, and that's what's happening. But besides the crazy weather, you know, the snakes, the mm. spiders, the stingrays, the big crocodiles, it is a nice place to yeah. live, isn't it? It's a great place. Yeah, it is. I mean, these I I get paid more than I would get paid for doing the same job in um, in England. Um, so that the the actual the pay and the conditions are, are incredible. Um, there's more, um, obviously, because I'm into rugby league and that's my sport of choice. This place is rugby league heaven, um, straight off. Um, generally speaking, Australia for sport is incredible as well. I mean, the, the, you know, people live and breathe whatever sport they're they're into. Cricket, whether it's soccer, cricket, rugby union, rugby league, AFL in the southern states. Um, it's a real, um, it's a real sportsman's country. Um, but then, you know, the other stuff as well is like, you know, food's cheap and good, really good quality. Um, the restaurants are incredible. Um, the pubs are really cool, except you've got to drink in um, schooners, not in uh, in pints, because they don't believe in pints over here. Um, but, and, you know, it's, it's it, the, the cost of living's cheap. And there's, although it's not full employment, it's almost full employment. There's very, very low unemployment rate. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a great place to live. So going back to basics, then as a, obviously a whole lad born and bred, um, mm. what made you want to move to Australia? Well, I've always kind of wanted to. Um, it's always been an ambition, um, but then met my wife, who's uh, who's an Aussie, and um, came down to the, the question: Do we want to live in Hull or do we want to live in Sydney? And you know, that's not even a question. <laughs> obviously, miss my mum and dad. Obviously, miss my team. But um, at the end of the day, um, it was a fairly easy question to ask. Yeah, fair enough. Um, obviously, you did that early two thousands, didn't you? Uh, prior to yeah, season in Cardiff, right. yes. And so it's, that's a, obviously a long time ago now. It's nearly two decades. Time flies yeah. these days, doesn't it? But so you've yeah. made the decision to go to Australia. I mean, was it yeah. was it was it daunting when you think it's a new place? You have got to get a new job. Obviously, you've got your partner there. What was that like? Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty full on. I mean, it's a bit of a leap. Um, you know, it's not like um, it's not like deciding to move house and going across the city or, or whatever. It's a bit of a bit of a daunting leap. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I suppose what what made it easier is that um, obviously um, really strong relationship and, and everything, and, and knowing that that was the right thing to do and wanting to live in Australia. But then um, when I came over here straight away, the first job that I got was at a rugby league club. So, you know, I mean, that was like it was heaven sent. So, like, uh, straight away, not only was I in, I was in, you know, the best relationship I've ever had in my life and also the best 
country I'd ever seen in my life, but I was right in the heart of the sport that I've lived and breathed since I was five years old. So, I mean, I never look back. <clears throat> There's, you know, you, you get, you, you don't get, uh, I mean, homesick's probably the wrong word for it, but, you know, you miss you miss certain things. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the, the good stuff outweighs the homesickness, you know, 100%. The weird stuff that I miss Walker's prawn cocktail chip uh, crisps. I see I'm calling them chips. That's how bloody acclimatized I am now. But Walker's Walker's prawn cocktail crisps, dry roasted peanuts because you can't get dry roasted peanuts. They're all food based. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know I'm, I'm, I miss my mum and dad, and I miss I've got a little sister as well. Um, but you know and I saw his family, um, uncles and aunties and stuff. But um, at the end of the day, mate, it's. Um, I've, you know, kids were born over here. Um, they're Aussies. They've got Australian accents. You've met them. They've got Australian accents. <laughs> and um, you know, it's <clears throat> um, you know, apart from apart from the fact that I've still got an English passport, which will probably change this year because um, I've got to take citizenship. Um, to all intents and purposes, apart from my accent, I'm Australian. Brilliant. And so you, you go, you move over there. I was just say you get your job at the mm. Rugby League Club. That was at Balmain, wasn't it? At the Leeds yeah, Club there. Yeah, West Tigers. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's one thing I love about Australian clubs. Like all the NRL teams have leagues clubs. Uh, it's something yes. I would absolutely yeah. love, you know, to see in England in Super League. And you know, for those that don't know, leagues clubs are massive, huge bars, restaurants, casinos, you name it, all merged under yeah. one roof. And it's all, that uh, all, all on the gaming dollar, mate. It's all on the all on the um, on the poker machines, um, which are just basically, you know, huge jackpot fruit machines, basically. But um, they're um, you know, like Balmain Leagues Club was a small club. We had two hundred machines. Um, the machines would turn over, oh Christ, twenty, thirty, forty million a year, um, and that's what kept the, the club afloat. You know, that and sponsorship and stuff and the bars. I mean, when I took over the job there, I was director of food and beverage. And the board took me in and said, just keep everything priced really cheap. You don't have to make money. Um, the poker machines pay the bills. You just have to um, service the clients, service the customers, make sure people are happy. You look after the members, that's your job. Um, two years later, the non-smoking laws came in in New South Wales and then the government increased the poker machine tax as well. And I got pulled back into the directors and it was, yeah, you might start wanting to try and make some money out of the place now. So I'm like, oh, great. So they all hated me because I'd put the beer up from $3 a schooner to $4.50 or whatever. So um, whose idea was this? Oh, the English lad. Oh, really? Yeah, it's one of those. Because I can't hide in a crowd with this accent. So, um, yeah, we that was that was pretty hairy. Um, and um, so, yeah, I worked there for, for, for about five years. Um, then I left there, went to work for Foster's Brewery, uh, Calp United Breweries as they're called over here, um, and I looked after King's Cross as an area, um, which is you know pretty full on and pretty rough, and it's the kind of rough place in Sydney. It's also the place with all the backpacker hostels, so I was, again, they kind of traded off the fact that I was English and I knew kind of English drinking trends, so I could advise the licensees what kind of beers to put in their pubs and stuff. And then... After, again, five years there, um, I um, moved up to uh, where I am now in Port Macquarie. I took a job in a club um, as 2IC, and then after 18 months, left that, and I've been at the radio station for the last eight years. So I've been working in local radio. So, yeah, I mean, I've I've never been unemployed in Australia. I've, I've always moved from job to job, and it's always been my decision, really. So, yeah, it's um, it's pretty cool, mate. I've got to say, it's um, I love the place. 
So, what would you say are the biggest pros of Australia? Um, the climate. Um, where I live, it's it's the reckon well, apart from the bushfires and the, the the floods, the reckon it's the perfect climate. It's not too hot, not too cold. Um, tops in where I am, tops in in summer of about 38, 39 degrees. Uh, it doesn't get below ten degrees in winter, really. Um, if you go inland, you still get frost, and you, you know Australia's got snowfields. You can go down to the snowy mountains, and and um, and you can ski in Jindabyne and places like that, which is lovely. But um, you know, um, it's really temperate um, unless you go really far north, you know, because Northern Territory and and um, and north of Queensland, they've got they don't have um, four seasons. They're subtropical, so they have two seasons. They have hot and wet, and hot and dry. That's their two seasons. So when you go up there and it's hot and wet, you get the monsoons and and all that kind of stuff, which is full on. Um, so yeah, I mean the, the big pros for me are it's livable. You get well paid. Um, Aussies don't particularly have a fantastic work ethic. So if you come over as an English guy who's used to grafting and, and used to actually doing a bit of, 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 of actual work and, and getting your hands dirty, they absolutely love you for it. And, um, and they'll, they'll, you know, they'll take you to heart really quickly. There's a level of casual racism, which I wasn't expecting, um, you know, um, against English people, any other people, people with different coloured skin, Aboriginal people, you name it. There is a level of casual racism, but, I mean, there's, there's that everywhere, um, I think. But, um, oh, God, I've been called a pommy bastard and, and all the rest of it. I just wear it like a badge of office, you know. Uh, that's all you can do. If you shrink, if you shrink against it, then they think they've got you, so they'll, they'll do it all the more. You just, you know, you fire back and they love you for it. And they laugh in the faces when England beat them at cricket. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, although that's that's backfired on me a couple of times actually. <laughs> you know, we've won the Ashes one time, and then I've gloated about it, and then two years later we've lost them again, and they've all thrown it back in my face. And as an English rugby league support, there's not a lot you can gloat about against the Aussies. So um, the best one for me was was it 2006 when um, uh, when England beat um, the Aussies. Great Britain, in, yeah. Great Britain beat the Aussies, yeah, and, and um, Rayner scored the winning try, didn't he, at the end? Yeah, that's right. Um, man, I was working at Balmain Leagues Club that night, and I could because I couldn't get tickets to the game, and um, I was the only English person in the thing, and I was sent to the staff room to calm down because <laughs> <laughs> I was because I was jumping all over the place, <laughs> especially because it was Yeaman and it was Yeaman who fed um, who fed Rayner for the winning try, so I was jumping all over the place, mate. It was great. <laughs> yeah, not a bad time to spot Hull. Back then, obviously, there were the no, cup no. holders the year before. We made Super League Grand Final, one and only Grand Final that year as well. Yeah, yeah. obviously, Kat Yeoman, Gareth Ray, the Re- Test Stars, not bad. Really good timing for me to emigrate, to be honest. Years and years of doing bugger all, and then I emigrate and start winning stuff, which is why I had to fly home for 2005. I had to fly home for um, for um, Cardiff because I wouldn't have missed that for the world. So, And, you know, literally finished work on the Thursday night, got on the plane, Landed in um, Manchester Friday night. Mum and Dad drove me to Hull. I slept about three hours. Then we went and picked up a um, picked up a, a bus um, on Castle Street. Then drove to um, drove to Cardiff. Saw the game. We won. Got back on the coach. Back into Hull. Dropped off at home. Went to sleep. Woke up the next day. Back to Manchester Airport, and then back to Sydney. So I was back at work on Tuesday morning. I didn't miss a shift. So I did it on my three, four days off. So, um, yeah, full on, mate. 
So I, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. That's mental. That is actually nuts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I had to do it. I had to do it. Was uh, the obvious question then, Wembley, was that tough to get your head around that you wouldn't be there for the, obviously the two Yeah, it was horrible. There? Horrible. I mean, since since the kids and stuff and, and money's a little bit different now and, you know, um, and all the rest of it, 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 was, it was never financially an option for me to go back just for that, um, for either of them, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was horrible. And, and I wrote a blog about how the tyranny of distance, you know, and, and, and having to support the club from, from afar um, is always hard. But especially, especially when we were at Wembley, and I, I freely admit, mate, I cried my eyes out. I absolutely, I absolutely sobbed my heart out. Um, and the year after as well. In fact, the year after probably hit me a little harder, weirdly, probably because it was Wigan, um, and probably because we'd kicked on and we'd won something back to back, which you know you can't say about whole teams down the years since the eighties where we've had a period of sustained success. So um, yeah, both of them were um, religious experiences not as much as going to cardiff although that is through through the fog of alcohol i have to say when i got back to the leagues club on the tuesday morning when i got off the plane and, and kind of you know went home had a shower got got to work at 6 a.m um the guy i was relieving because i was the duty manager that morning the guy was i was relieving said oh do you want a coffee rich I said, yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll a flat white and uh, he handed me the cup and i burnt my hand because my hand was shaking and I realised that was the first non-alcoholic drink I'd had since the Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, that's I've just been drinking constantly. And I'm not a big drinker at the best of times, but yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that really, um, that was, yeah, I, I, could, I couldn't do that now. I was a lot younger then. <laughs> so a lot more resilient back then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, obviously, you've come. Obviously, Hull FC is obviously still engraved into it. it never leaves you. It doesn't matter mm. where you are in the world. Once mm. it's in your blood, it never goes anywhere. But yeah, obviously, Bal- tattooed and everything. <laughs> yeah. So, Balmain Leeds Club working there was, and I know you did touch on this a little bit last week, but you mentioned Penrith, mm. but obviously you ended up supporting West Tigers. Yeah, yeah. So it was more or less. I mean. I think when I came over, and, I, and again, I've written a blog about this, about, you know, it's really unusual because I was born into Hull FC. You know, my granddad supported Hull FC, my grandma supported Hull FC. My grandma was one of Hull's washerwomen in the in the 40s and 50s. Um, they used to live on Early Street, like three doors up from the ground. And, and when there was an air raid, they used to use the um, the dressing sheds as the as the bomb shelter, you know. Um, so my dad's, you know, born into that, and, and he's he's a died in the wall wall support as well so i mean when i came over here i had that really weird feeling where i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to choose a club you know i can't just because i'm one of them people i can't just sit and watch a game and and not and not barrack for somebody you know i need to be able to root for one team i can't just sit as a complete disinterested observer and you know there are reasons why i pick a team so like at the weekend, I don't know, I'll pick a game at random from the weekend, the Sharks and the Raiders. Well, obviously I went for the Raiders because Josh Hodgson, Tigers and the Roosters, Tigers obviously, Cowboys and Dragons. I went for the Cowboys, not because of anything else, but the Dragons playing red and white. I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't, with all good conscience, support a team playing in red and white. Um, sea Eagles and Rabbitohs, I was I hate the Sea Eagles, but they've got Des Hasler. But at the end of the day, I kind of went for the Bunnies because I thought they'd had a bad trot the week before. You know, you know what I mean? I can't not pick a team. I can't. So when I, when I first came over here, I was like, well, bloody hell is it going to be? And I thought, well, maybe Para. 
because of Peter Sterling. And we actually, we got a flat when we first moved in together and stuff that was just up the road from Paramount Leagues Club. So I thought, well, I'll apply that. I'll apply, I'll apply for jobs at Barman or whatever because I run pubs in England. So um, applied, didn't hear anything. All right, fair enough. And then, like I say, we went to a couple of games at Penrith and I've met Shane Richards and I thought, oh, well, maybe Penrith then, you know, maybe Penrith Panthers. That, that, that'll, be, that'll be my team. And then all of a sudden this job came up um, at Balmain Leagues Club and I applied and I was just it just it was just perfect I got the job that they, they loved me I loved them um, I started working on the front door I think my f- second shift I ever did um, we had a home game um, against South I think um, and they'd had like a ex-players reunion and I met James Grant and I met um, who else uh, other, uh, David Brooks um ex-Hall players and um, then I met um, Terry Regan and I met some other ex-Hall players that were there and, and you know it was all very it just seemed like fate really uh, so I just they kind of adopted me and I adopted them and I've, I've been a Tiger ever since and 2005 when we won the, the league that year was just oh, it was incredible I mean the fact that Hull had won something the same year and then I'm the duty manager that's opening the club up the morning after the night before when we'd won the comp and there are three and a half thousand people on Victoria Road in, in Sydney trying to get into the club that's only licensed fire licensed for 650 <laughs> and I'm having to fight my way through the crowds going I work here <laughs> trying to get past all the security guards that we'd hired for the night um yeah mate, just just phenomenal so ever since then I've you know I've been a long-suffering Tiger supporter because since then we've done bugger all Obviously, that's where the rift comes from between my own uncle Penrith Panthers with Mr. Cleary, who uh, infamously uh, told the Tigers to do one, didn't he, and came back to Penrith. Yeah, more or less, yeah. Yeah, alongside Sun Nathan. He'd been doing this thing about, are you on the bus or you're off the bus? And, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to completely rebuild the squad and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, you know, I really want my son to come over and, and, you know, we can... We'll build, we'll build something with him as the halfback. And we were all like, bloody hell, this is going to be great. And in the end, his son signed a new contract with Penrith and then he bloody joined him two days later. Um, you know, he's either on the bus or off the bus while he's legged it. He's gone. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it left a nasty taste in a lot of Tigers supporters' mouths. But to be honest, mate, you can't really blame him. He's going back to, he's going back to the club where he was a junior and where he'd, he'd been a head coach before, you know. And, and now he's a little bit more mature as a coach and he's got a better playing roster and his son's there and you can't really blame the bloke I just thought he handled it particularly badly he said some nasty things about the club and he didn't have to hence why there's a bit of you know the bad yeah there. a bit of feeling yeah, yeah I, I get yeah. that I can sort of appreciate that from a Tigers point of view from a Penrith point of view I'm loving it because obviously great start to the season yeah. 2-0 uh, not even conceded a point yet which is you know it's freakish I think it was the first time since 19... 19- 10, I think you're right in saying that a team has yeah. actually won the first two two games of a league season without conceding a point. You know, that's freakish, yeah. isn't it? So I, know, I know you can yeah. say it's the, it's only you know North Queensland and, and Canterbury Bulldogs, obviously two teams that aren't going to set the comp alike, but still to nil yeah. them is pretty impressive. Oh, yeah, I mean, you can only beat what's in front of you, can't you? You know, and, and you've only got to look at, you know, there's a couple of games this week where you, you'd have thought, oh, that team's going to win easy. You know, you, you look at, um, you know, you'd think that the you'd think that the um, the Storm and the Eels game, you'd think that the Storm would probably win that against the Eels, and they didn't. Um, you know, you, the Cowboys and Dragons. I, mean, I don't know anyone that didn't pick the Cowboys in their tipping. 
um, and the dragons took them, you know, and then the Raiders and the and the Sharks. That was that was a weird game last night. Um, with you know, right down to the last two seconds, you know, if the Sharks had kicked the goal, it'd have gone into um, Golden Point. But Chad Townsend only kicked one from four, and they really should have won that game by an absolute mile. But the Raiders hung on. In fact, the, I don't know if you saw it, but. Um, they interviewed Hodgson because he was captain after the match and they said, oh, congratulations. And he just looked down the barrel of the camera and went, fuck yeah, right. <laughs> so we're going to get absolutely towelled up in the sheds by, by Ricky Stewart after this. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, and I'm sure they did because they were bloody lucky. So yeah, it's just one of those, mate, at the moment. It's there's, there's, um, very open this year. Very open. But, you know, Panthers have started well. Um, Roosters have started well. Raiders have... have carved out a couple of results when they haven't played well. Um, Broncos look abject. Bulldogs look terrible. Tigers look terrible. Cowboys look terrible. Sea Eagles look terrible. So it's going to be interesting. It's the teams that have won one and lost one so far. They're the ones that you've got to watch, I think. They're the ones that are going to really shape the way that the, the, the comp goes. So the Eels, the Titans, the Bunnies, uh, the Dragons, they're the ones that are really going to shape the way that it goes this year. Because I think you've got a top four more or less there, and I think you've got a bottom four more or less there. It's the eight teams in between that that are going to be the um, the interesting ones to watch. Interesting. Um, as far as NRL clubs go then, I know you've mentioned mm. Canterbury a little bit similar to, to Hull FC, but yeah. you, you think over here, particularly in uh, football, or what you guys call soccer, you've got you know your fashionable yeah. clubs, especially in the north of England, Manchester United, Liverpool. Yeah. What's like the equivalent of those in the NRL? Roosters, probably. Um, you know, everyone takes the piss out of the Roosters saying that, you know, how did they manage to fit so many players? And, you know, our guy who's the breakfast announcer at work, we all take the piss out of him because we say that the Roosters have got a salary sombrero. They haven't got a salary cap. You know, all the players that have managed to fit underneath it. Um, so probably the Roosters. And there's, there's a healthy... Um, probably envy of the Roosters. Obviously, the, the Broncos, because they've got the biggest stadium and they've got an entire, you know, an entire city to to, um, to pick from at the moment um, until another team comes in in Brisbane anyway, which is likely. Um, but, you know, probably the Broncos as well. So that means that that's why everyone's really happy that they got the spoon last year and that they started badly this year. The knives are out for them because they're a big fish and you always like to see a really big team fall. Um it used to be the Sea Eagles, not anymore. The Bunnies have always got that kind of hard-working and honest kind of thing about them. You know, they they've never had a lot of money. Um, and, you know, they were thrown out of the league famously during the Super League War. So they're kind of the working-class team. They're the, they're the kind of Salford. I'm probably not Salford, but you, you know what I mean? They're, they're like the more working-class kind of honest toilers. Penrith are the Westies. So, you know, everyone kind of looks down the nose at the Westies, um, you know, lots of mullets, badly spelled tattoos, bad dentistry, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, your other teams, like your Titans are, are seen as pretenders, really, I suppose, because, you know, there's never been, I think I wrote a blog on it as well, there's never been a, a successful sports team on the Gold Coast. Um, the Knights are seen as perennial underachievers because they've got a really good structure and a really good juniors, but never seem to put it onto the pitch. Um, you know, the Cowboys, apart from a couple of flash in the pans, have never, have, haven't really, you know, they, they've got that entire North Queensland area to pull from and they just don't seem to be able to, to get any quality out of the juniors. The Eels are the sleeping giants. So the Eels are possibly a whole FC as well. 
a um, bit of a sleeping giant, a lot of history and a lot of success in the 80s. Um, neither team has really replaced um, Peter Sterling <laughs> in the um, you know, 25, 30 years since he, he retired. Um, but then the team that everyone aspires to is the Storm. Just because, you know, like we said last time, players retire, players come and go, but the Storm always managed to to bring another one through. They've, they've got that. The systems, the processes, the juniors, even though all their juniors play their um, reserve grade football in, in Queensland because there is no league in, in Victoria. So, you know, they've, they've got a really kind of spread out, um, kind of geographically remote um, base, and yet they make it work. They make it work. And then, you know, you've got the Warriors as well who, you know, have got an entire country to choose from and, and have underachieved more than any club in, in world rugby league, in my opinion. So, yeah, mate, if it's, as a whole support coming over, if you have to choose, um, you've got to kind of weigh everything up. Do you want instant success and be a glory hunter? I don't want that. I, I, I could never, in all good conscience, support the Roosters or the or the, the Storm because I don't think there's any fun in it watching your team batter other teams week in, week out. You want a battling team that's capable of rising, you know, which is why I've always, you know, been a West Tigers. Or if I hadn't been, I'd have been a Panthers or I'd have been a Nails, you know, or I'd have been a Bulldogs. There's no way I'd have, I'd have ever supported a Roosters or a Storm because that's like supporting Wigan or Leeds frowned upon especially in this part of the world where we live in Hull forbidden <laughs> so yes. you've got obviously employment's good you've shows you're on our old team mm. I must admit when I came to Australia when all, when we came across with all my yeah. biggest fear was oh, what if we see a bloody Eastern Brown what if we see a tiger snake what if we see a funnel web bloody spider and I didn't see one we saw a little lizard in one of the bars I think it was in I think it was actually in um, uh, what do you call it Wollongong but apart yeah, from yeah. that, it was all good. Man, I've been here 18 years. I've never seen an Eastern Brown. I've seen a red belly, a red belly black snake, and we've seen we've seen some of the little big little ones. But I mean, I've lived, I've lived places that are fairly bush, you know, um, and I've not seen any. I've seen the odd spider. Um, we we had some um, uh, redbacks, um, little colony of redbacks living in our balcony a couple of years back. But I just sprayed them and they all died and that was it. Um, so, mate, don't, don't worry. Don't worry your little head about that, mate. That's fine. Um, only if you're out bush or if you do something stupid, like, you know, put your hand in a bloody rotting log or something like that. I mean, you'd do that. So, <laughs> yeah, just you don't worry about that. They very rarely come in your house. Very rarely. And you can get things that, that you know, emit a high-pitched sound and everything and, and stop things coming in. And there's all sorts of weird wonderful gadgets to prevent spiders and prevent um prevent snakes coming in so you just you kind of you kind of first year you hear you're looking under everything and shaking your shoes out and all the rest of it but then after that it's you got you, the, the thing that pees me off more than anything else is cockroaches really cockroaches everywhere and and um yeah and that's that's the worst thing and also where i am kangaroos everywhere and they're a bloody menace because they, you know, they hop on the blue road, and you come round a blind bend, and there's three of them in the middle of the road, and they don't know which way to go when your car comes. So half of them will come straight at you. Um, so you know, a lot of people have had the cars written off by kangaroos and wombats as well. Um, not so much up here, a little bit further south from where I am. Um, you hit one of them, that's a big hairy speed bump. You can wreck your car doing that. So that's that's probably the worst of it as regards um, as regards wildlife. So it could be a lot worse then. Oh, mate, it could be a hell of a lot worse. 
Um, like I say, I, I, I couldn't move back. I'm, I'm here for life. I'm, I'm, I'm not moving back. I think the key thing to say then, while we're finishing this all off, I saw yeah. a picture of your little lad playing cricket two weeks ago. If yeah. he, if he, if he does progress in that sport, England. England, Good. that's the, qu- yeah, there that's we go. the question, mate, England. Great, great. <laughs> that, that is the question, Yorkshire and England. <laughs> Yorkshire and England, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and every, you know, and like everyone I work with is like, don't you listen to him, don't you listen to him, Jack, don't you listen. Well, he's got a name, like, his name's Jack Harrison, you know. If if, if he doesn't if he doesn't play for Hull, um, you know, and score a hat full of tries, well, then he's playing for England in cricket, so... Um, that's that's as far as I'm going there. He's uh, and the thing is as well, he, he qualifies because I've still got I still had my British passport when he was born, so um, he qualifies and, and weirdly qualifies for Chile as well because that's where his his mum's passport's from because she was originally from Chile. So he's kind of got triple. Both kids have got triple citizenship: England, Chile, and Australia. So yeah, interesting. Brilliant. I wonder if he can hold the wild card there. Is the only family that can say that? Oh no, there's others. There's other people we know that have got um, English, Chilean, and born in Australia. But uh, yeah, it's fairly unusual, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, I'd say that was yeah. fairly unusual. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, thanks for that, Richard. It was yeah interesting to get different you know perspectives on Australia as a country, and obviously there's a lot of people over there. I mean, even now, I mean, my group of friends we talk about it in the pubs all the time because there's some yeah. things about the UK that we just cannot stand, and you know the way the yeah. country's going right now. I am. Um, very anti-Boris, very anti-conservative. So that if yeah. they're gonna stay here, it makes me think. Yeah, let's just bugger off to Sydney and not come back. But you, do you know what, mate? It's no better over here. Um, we've got a conservative um, uh, party over here. The, the, although weirdly they're called the Liberals, that they're anything but liberal. Um, and you know, they've there's there's the rape allegations against the Attorney General. Um, you know, and, and you've got the the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister of Riri, no matter what your religion is, um, he's a Pentecostal Christian and he believes that the earth is 4,000 years old, um, despite the fact that, you know, he relies on coal for over everything else for, for the prosperity of the country. And coal's, you know, 20,000 years older than that. Um, he's just a weirdo. And it's exactly the same over here, mate. Politicians are politicians. It's the same if you're in America, if you're in France, if you're in China, probably not China. But if you're in anywhere, they're all the bloody same. Um, so you know, don't, if you're going to do it, don't do it on political grounds, but definitely do it on standard of living. You know, the, the standard of living over here is is so much higher, um, and you know, um, the the poverty line is is so much higher. You know, you, people saying, oh, you know, we're doing it tough. Oh, okay, you're doing it tough. Are you? you got two cars? Your kids have got a PlayStation. Um, do you know what I mean? That's not doing it tough. Doing it tough is eating toothpaste. You know, um, so. Yeah, it's um, it's different over here. Very, very different. And what I will say is it's hard to get here. Um, they have a points-based immigration system, which is really hard to get through. Um, you can get through on like a, a skill visa if you've got a trade or whatever. That That's fairly easy. But other than that, if you just want to come across as an economic migrant, it's a long, drawn-out process and you've got, to go th- you've got to jump through a lot of hoops. I was really lucky because... At the time, my girlfriend was an Australian, and I came out on a prospective marriage visa. So that was, you know, we had to get married within six months of me setting foot in the country, basically. So I was basically like an internet bride. So, um, yeah, I, I, that was different. So I got in because I'd married an Aussie. Um, so, you know, I can, ha- I can heartily recommend that if you're looking. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for an Australian girlfriend, I can heartily recommend it. 
Brilliant. So, on the other side of the world, Super League is about to kick yes. off. We have touched yes. on Hull FC over the past fortnight, where we're excited, where we're maybe a little bit anxious, but all in all, can't wait to get going. You know, obviously, it's, you know, it's a different ball game to Australia. Super League is what Super League is, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm just glad to have the rugby back on the TV. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's going to be an interesting season, isn't it? Um, you know, crowds back hopefully halfway through, uh, which would be great. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of lot of um, lot of signings to be infused about. I think. I mean, Kyle Eastman at Leeds, I think, is is a really really good signing for them because they've their their business has been underwhelming over the last couple of years, and I think you know obviously. Whether he's fit or whether he lasts the full season, Greg Inglis at Warrington is a draw card and a, and a real coup for the league. And then you know, with us, with 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 Reynolds, I think that's potentially the biggest signing we've we've made in years and years and years. So um, there's going to be some there's going to be some real um, some really interesting stories. I think this year. Yeah, absolutely. Look, teams recruitment as well. You think you know, you go back to Leeds. have also signed in Setavano from Penrith. He's a great yeah. prop. Yeah, you know, he should go well in Super League and. Wigan and Saints, you know, they set the benchmark with that grand final last year, which is, you know, yeah, dare I say, arguably the best. Game. That was probably the best Super League game I've ever watched in terms of intensity. You know, that was Origin. That was yeah, like watching yeah. Origin, you know. And Aussies might think, what are you yeah. on about? But it, it was that good. It was brilliant. It was brilliant viewing. And that's yeah. just as a neutral. It was a superb game. Yeah, it really, really was a superb game. And I think where Leeds will, will um, I think Leeds this year, that they've, they'll struggle in the halves because I don't think Gale and Louis are, are a, are a good halves combination they're too similar as players I think I think I, I even put in my pre-season um, um, kind of uh, predictions it, it's going to be for me it, it's Saints and Wigan again uh, I really I think it's Saints and Wigan and then Daylight I really do um, and, I, and I love the fact that we've got a decent we've got a decent squad this year but I think um, Wigan and Saints will dominate Warrington will probably come fair to fourth Hull and Leeds will make up the rest of the top five um, Lee will finish a distant bottom, um, and Rovers will be tenth or eleventh. I think that's that's the way I look at it. Um, I think you know your Huddersfields, your Wakefields, your Castlefords, your your Salfords, your Catlands will make up that kind of no man's land in between. Um, but yeah, I, I can't really see, I can't really see anyone other than Saints and Wigan. They just seem to be light years ahead at the moment. If we're basing it on that grand final game that was just mentioned then yeah they are a co- you know a country mile ahead what yeah what a game it was it was what sensational yeah and it's interesting sean wayne's come out in the english press uh obviously the new england i say new england head coach has had that role for over a year now but england haven't played yeah. uh, you know covid or no covid i still think that's a disgrace but moving aside from the international game rants he, he actually came out and said that teams need to raise their Sorry, players need to raise their games three times on top of what those Wigan and St Helens players produced in the grand final, and that yeah. that you know that yeah absolutely, that, and that that's just to get close to Australia in the World Cup or or a New Zealand or a Tonga. Totally, I mean you, you've got to look at it, and, and for years and years and years, I've always said this: you can probably pick a seventeen Great Britain players, England players, whatever you want to call it, that will be, you know, they'll give the Aussies a game. They'll be competitive. They might not win. They might win one in four games against the Aussies. But you look at it, you could probably pick six squads from the NRL that would give Great Britain a game and probably beat them. Certainly, we wouldn't beat the New South Wales or the Queensland teams, I don't think. 
Um, and I think half the problem with an Australian national team is that you've got this kind of New, Ze- uh, New South Wales versus Queensland kind of um, rivalry, which means that you, you tend to pick a bit of an unbalanced squad. You know, they, you know, there'd be play- people that have played for Australia that, that never even played Origin because the Australia coach rated them, but the two Origin coaches didn't. Um, you know, there's been a couple down the years that have done that. Regan and Campbell then, Gillard did it, didn't he, a few years ago? Yeah, yeah. Regan Campbell Gillard, um, Lawrence at the Tigers never played for New South Wales, but he did. He did play for Australia. Um, or even um, oh bloody hell, what's his name? Matautia. Um, we played for Australia as an 18 year old, but never played has never played um, Origin. So you know, you could probably say that there's probably five or six squads that could that could give an England side. You know, probably a, a bit of a toweling up, mate. To be honest, um, we we need, which, which is why it's it's good that we have English players playing in in the NRL because they get used to that intensity week in week out. You know, um, you can't think of an, an English player that's come back from Australia a worse player, um, apart from probably Ryan Hall, who did, but he never really got a game over here. Uh, and when he did, he was he, he looked bloody awful. Um, you know, Ellis came back a better player. Um, you know, uh, James Graham came back a broken player, but he came back. Um, Hodgson has taken his game to a different level over here. So so is George Williams, t- to be honest. So, you know, th- th- it's good that we have English players playing over here and, and, and playing week in, week out, the Burgess brothers and everything, you know. It's great. Um, and and the, to be honest, it's the, only, the only way that we'll kind of beat them at their own game is by learning what their game is. You know, gone are the days when, you know, you'd, you'd get an Aussie coach and it would be an absolute revelation. Right? When Brian Smith, our first ever Aussie coach, came over and, like, you know, these defensive drills and everything, and you've got you've got English players looking around and going, Jesus, is this what we have to do every day, every week? And a lot of them fell away. But then he found this core of players that, that bought into it and, and that wanted to do it, and we became a different team overnight. Those days are gone. Because everyone works on those kind of Australian principles, and everyone has sports scientists now and everything. So you're not, it, it's not about coaching. It's about the skill level of the players. It's about the juniors. It's about coming through as a as a ten year old and eleven year old, and being exposed to quality coaching at that age, rather than, you know, just the bloke down the pub that fancies running a junior team, which is it tends to be what it has been like in England for years and years and years. Yeah, the administration side of the game over yeah. here isn't great and hasn't covered itself in glory either. But no. I, I, saying that, I'm still optimistic to what the British game could produce this year. Like you say, like we've got two absolutely quality sides in Wigan and St. Helens. And you yep. look at the, the Warrington, I mean, the money they throw around is crazy. They've got to yeah. put it all together at, at some point. And Hull, I mean, like you say, our first 17, that's, you know, that, you think of the span, you know, you fall back, you. You're six and yeah. you're seven and you're nine. I know some people have a problem with Danny Elton these days, but I tell you what, it gives everything, every single game, every yeah. ounce of energy. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Do you know what? I was watching that game last night. I was watching that Canberra and um, and um, and Sharks game last night, and I almost and I, and I kind of thought, no, I won't. I almost tweeted, "Thank God for Mark Snead at Hull, because he would have slotted every one of those goals, and he would have put himself in a position to kick a field goal." And with ten seconds to go, you'd still bag you'd still bet him to get something out of the bag when we've got a knife edge game. I wouldn't swap Mark Snead for any half back in the comp. I really wouldn't. Um and and he's just he's 
ice cold. He's just, and he's he's a big game player. You saw that at Wembley twice. He's a very, very big game player, and I would not swap him for anyone. You know, I wouldn't swap Jake Connor at fullback for anyone at the moment. I think I think he's going to have a stellar season there. Um, Reynolds, like we say, has got a, is an unknown quantity at the moment, but I've seen him play, and I've seen him play for a lot of years, and, and I think he's dead right for us. You know, Hodgson's coming to the end of his career, arguably. He's, what, 30, how old is he? 32, I think. I think that's right, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, 31, 32. You know, but you, you've got, you know, the likes of Cameron Smith that went until they were 36, 37, you know, so he's probably got a couple of years left in him. But then you've got Johnston snapping at his heels and, and you know, you've got other players, juniors under that as well. You know, I just we've got a really good spine. We've got really good centres, probably the best centre pairing in the league. Um, you know, we've got a mobile pack, if not the biggest pack, and we've got some of the, we've got some real strength players. You know, I just I just think think you know we just lack a bit of absolute class. But you know, like it's like I said in in, in my in my predictions this year. I think the league might be a step beyond for us, but the Challenge Cup definitely. We could put four games of, of knockout football together, no problem. Um, I think the league might be, you know, sustaining it week in, week out might be difficult, but something like the cup, you could you could see us doing. I think with the squad that we've got. If anyone's that, if any old fan out there is actually realistically thinking that we could win Super League this year, sort of thinking like, what you're smoking and can we have some? I think yeah. it's, I think it's just completely unrealistic. I think, yeah, a, a playoff, you know, top six side is is absolutely imperative, and I, I'd argue probably <clears throat> top four to be honest. You want to be. Maybe hanging around yeah. fourth, and that would be you know if you have a cut run as well, that would be a great yeah. You, you sort of then yeah. you reevaluate it. We've got about ten, eleven players off contract this year. Hodgson signs up who he wants. Also looks at that cap space. Maybe brings in one or two players that he wants to embed into his system. And then next year we're sort of thinking, okay, if we've got another forward, if we've got a you know another someone like with Ratu and Lagos pace that comes in, and like I said, a couple of yeah. forwards, we're, we're probably laughing. I mean, that's the thing. We have got some really good. You know, strike players like you say, Andre Sevilla, Mario Mao, even Jordan Lane, they, they can punch holes in defences, yeah. they can run through. Jordan Lane is a little Liam Farrell. That's what he is. He's not the biggest yeah, of lads, yeah. but he picks the line, he hits that line, and he's got the gas yeah. to go through it. He's a great young player. Do you know, I, I saw him I saw him thing. I think the, the the club had put a photograph of Messi Matongo up, and I saw some of the comments that people have put on it on Facebook, and I'm just like, Jesus, you know. Unless the blokes, you know scoring a hat-trick every week, he's not good enough for some people, you know? And I admit, and we, we said this a couple of weeks ago, you know, like people like Matongo and Fash, they need to kick on this year, Bowden, you know, they need to kick on this year because this is a pivotal year for them, you know? If they don't kick on this year, they'll probably be shipped out. But at the end of the day, while someone's pulling on a black and white jersey, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt until it proves me wrong. And it's the start of the season. None of them have done anything yet. Give them a chance before you start putting them down. Do you know? Um, last year was a weird year. Covid, losing a coach, and all the rest of it, and we were still eighty minutes away from a grand final. You know, Brad Fash never takes a backward step. Jordan Lane was fantastic last year, and the people I've seen bagging him out on, on social media saying he's not big enough, he's rubbish, he's the worst player ever to play for, and all this just absolute crap. He had a stellar season last year. Joe Cater from nowhere, great season. Savellia, you know, busted, broken nose, throwing himself into the line with blood streaming down his face. All I can ask for as a whole supporter is that I watch a player give 100%, and he certainly did that. You know, Sal and Satai, slow start, but getting there. You know, we, we you know, we, we, like you said, we're probably a forward shot, maybe two forward shot. But this year, 
mean, and we said this last week. All we can ask is that those big defeats go, and that we go down fighting in every game. And honestly, with Hodgson as a coach, I can say that I really can. We're going to go down fighting in every game. So, mate, it's the start of the season. Who knows? You know, we'll fast forward two months. We'll do another one of these, and we'll either have have done really well or we'd have done really badly. I can never see us being average. That's one thing you can't say with Hull. We're one or the other, aren't we? We're not. We're never grey. We're always black or we're white. That's yeah. That's pretty fair. If you're going last year, that is literally what we were. You think back to the yeah. opening day Rocks at Leeds. Down. I mean, that 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 performance at Leeds was absolutely brilliant. I know everyone refers yeah. back to it, and it sometimes gets a little bit tedious. But it was a brilliant game, and that was one of our yeah. no real highs of last year. Obviously, the playoff win at Warrington we were brilliant. You know, stuffing Cass at yeah. home, brilliant. But then you you know you flip yeah. it on the other side, Warrington at home the night that saw the end of Lee Radford were horrific. The first yeah. game back after the first lockdown, Salford fifty four eighteen, you know horrific. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. even it was one extreme to the other, wasn't it? And I mean, even even the week after Leeds, mate, when we played Rovers that that second game of the season, we went great that night, but we ground a result out. But what, didn't, that's what you we know, did. We, that's what we did for years yeah. under Radford, wasn't it? It was like there was, yeah. we did enough. We sort of got ourselves yeah. ahead and we, we sort of backed backed ourselves to see it out. It won't pretty we at went times. Through the gears. Yeah, yeah. We went through the gears. You could see them going through the gears. Yeah. Um. And and when we got on a roll, we were hard to stop. The problem is, was that a lot of the time we didn't get on a roll. That was the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think. Under Hodgson, we will see a better organised offence attack, whatever you yes. call it this year. It'll have craft, it'll be more direct, but it'll be more crisp in the opposition ten. And that's something you know, you'll, you'll have touched with like people like Jake Connor. He ain't going to do a Jamie Shaw and run 90 metres downfield every other week and score fantastic tries. But I'll tell you what, from 20 yeah. to 10 out, he'll be lethal. Totally, totally. And and you know what I'm, I'm excited about is, is, is Gareth Ellis in, in a coaching position as well. Because that man ran the most sublime lines as a second row forward or as a, as a lock forward, as a, as a loose forward. He ran amazing lines. And even his movement off the ball as well, his dummy runs and all the rest of it, he was always considered and he was always accurate in his running. Now, if he gets into the head of a Liggy Sow or of an Andres Sevelia or of a Jordan Lane or, or you know, a Manu Mao as well, he can, if he gets them running those lines, it will be hard to stop from five out. We really, really will. Now, if he can, if he can pass on what he used to do as a player, and he's got that ability to actually communicate that as a coach, mate, we we could be very, very lucky with uh, with keeping him on. I think he's um, potentially, you know, if he if he coaches as well as he played, mate, we've got a diamond there as a coach, and probably we're starting to look at, you know, maybe even a bit of a succession plan and, and you know installing him as head coach down the line. Yeah, hopefully there's, there's a pathway there, isn't there? You could say the same maybe yeah. for Kieran Patel, who may have more of a voice this year. Yes. Also, what we discussed last week was ironically announced a couple of days later, and that's all about the, the academy, and that's really promising. Yeah. LFC, they want regional centres across the UK for players to come through into a whole FC system, embed them into yeah. that, and hopefully, you know, in theory at least, bring them into the first-team environment where they'll, where they'll come in and prosper. But that's a long-term process, though. I mean, fans will be thinking, oh, you spent all that money, where's the next... You know, Peter Sterling, where's the next Lee Crooks? It's not it's not gonna come overnight, yeah. it's a long term process that. But if we can crack it totally. and get it right, in ten years' time we'll be absolutely laughing. Yeah. And that's what Wigan did. And that's what Leeds did. They you know, they invested in, in youth years and years and years ago. I remember when I was running a pub in Leeds in the nineties, um 
uh, one of the guys who was who came into the the, the pub a lot, um, Paul Kilbride, he's in a wheelchair. He broke his neck playing rugby league when he was eleven. And um, Paul used to take me to tra- to Leeds train, and I used to go and watch the Rhinos train because he could get in anywhere. He's, he's um, bless him. He's, he's um, his disability opened a lot of doors for him, and I was kind of there along for the ride. And I saw the you know the likes of of um, Sinfield and, and Danny Maguire and, and stuff like that coming through the ranks. Um, and at the time, there was Marvin Golden and and, and Gavin Brown was the halfback, and they, they had a, a pretty poor year. Um, 96, 97 um, Leeds but then you could see something was building with those young kids and they ended up building an entire team around them yeah they got some some players from other clubs and yeah they got some imports and stuff but the, the core of that team was Borough, Maguire um, and Sinfield who were all locals do you know um, and they lived and breathed um, the, 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 the team and the ethos and, and the, the local area and there were local heroes and all the rest of it and we haven't had that for a long, 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 long time. Late 90s, somehow, through all of that chaos and all of that shit that we went through as a team in the in the mid to late 90s, we ended up with a once-in-a-lifetime crop of youngsters. Horn, Cook, Fletcher, King, um, Poucher, Parker, all of you know, all of whom were first-grade regulars and, and probably should have kicked on and done a little bit more than they did, some of them. But they all came through at the same time. We were incredibly lucky. And that, arguably, was because in 1990 and 91, Brian Smith had put that in place. So they were able to come through after that. We let it slip in the late 90s. And then we didn't have that kind of assembly line of of great talent coming through in the early 2000s. We had to go out and buy teams. So now, if we get it right now, it's not going to be now that we see these players coming through. It's going to be 2030. It's going to be 2033 before we see the fruits of the labour. But if we get it right, we will be a Wigan or a St. Helens or a Leeds that, that have this total production line of, of good junior talent coming through. A Melbourne, you know, a, a Roosters, a Souths over here. They're the ones that have got that great kind of junior um, league system that, you know, they get good coaching early you weed out the troublemakers and you weed out the, the you know the no dickhead policy and you you end up with good young professional players making the debut at 18 19 and 20 who are ready for first grade and just kick on and that's what we need penrith 13 of the penrith, 17 yeah, absolutely. They, they're phenomenal yeah. for it just bring yeah. yeah they've got three origin players that played yeah. last year that were from their junior systems that are now the cornerstone of that panthers team and you know, they've got yeah. the biggest junior league in the world up in Penrith, haven't they? So yeah. they're yeah, they're yeah, huge yeah. on it, and they're sort of reaping the success of that now. I mean, they have they had the 2016 um, NYEC comp, and they had about six players that are in that team that are now the mainstay yeah. of the first team now. So it it yeah. works. It, it's also all all set up by Gus Gold. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people take the piss out of him for his five year plan. Well, it's, it's yeah. working now. Maybe he should have called it a six totally. year plan or a seven year plan. But it's it's working yeah. right now, and we're definitely seeing the Absolutely. the fruits of that uh, at the foot of the yeah. mountains. But but you see, it's not sexy, is it? That's the thing. To, to your man on the terrace, watching watching a team lose more often than they win, you know, he's going, "Oh, we're putting all this money into kids. I want to see us win now." You know, and that's the balancing act in it. You've got to spend enough money on keeping people interested while the assembly line's being being made and those players are being are produced. Um, you've got to keep people happy enough to keep buying shirts, keep buying 
season ticket. So you've got to put plenty of money into the first grade as well. See, this is where Wigan have been really lucky because they've had a multi-millionaire backer that can actually do both. He can buy the big players and keep you interested at the top, and he's throwing all the money in the bottom as well and, and hoping that stuff, your grassroots, comes up. And this is where we've got to be very, very careful and make sure we do it properly. But hopefully, you know, we're, making the right, we're making the right noises. The whole City of Hull Academy thing was <coughs> an aberration between us and Rovers, but um, hopefully we'll get the best of the local talent through now. Yeah, it's in the past that, luckily. And also, yeah. another key thing is Hull FC are actually running the amateur game along with Rovers right now. I think that's key as well, getting that infrastructure yeah. in there, making sure you've got yeah. the kids in the community clubs coming through you know, in a good system, yeah. and hopefully the whole city will bear fruit from that. Adam Pearson then, he opened a can of worms up on Friday night. You've had people oh, on Facebook draw, drawing stadiums and putting them on Facebook pages. I'm like, oh, for Christ's sake, what are we doing? What, what have you done there, Adam? Because you've got people in fantasy land now and and that's yeah. what it is for me. It's Look, a pie in the sky. I think, for, totally, totally. And I think what it was was a shot across the bows of the council. I think that's what it was. It did get it the LMC, well, the SMC, that's what it was. Yeah. Well, he's basically saying to the council, unless you buy the SMC back or unless you do something about this, you're going to have a community stadium with a third division soccer team in it and nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's what he's basically doing. He's, he's kind of going, look, the club's been up for sale for God knows how long, um, Hull City. They can't find a buy for it because they're idiots and because they're they're asking stupid money for it. Um, you know, he's, it was just a shot across the bows. And I think, you know... It, I would love us to have our own stadium, but I think it's completely unrealistic. Um, clubs have gone bankrupt trying to build new stadiums, and I think we've got to be very, very careful there. What If we do get one, something like Saints New Stadium or, or Warrington Stadium or whatever, that would be perfect. Something that's about 20,000 seater, maybe even fifteen or 16,000, so we absolutely pack it out. You know, Call one of the stands a threatly stand, you know, and, and and let's get it rocking again. Let, let's get, you know, because there's nothing worse than watching 5,000, 6,000 people rattling around in a massive stadium. That's like when you're watching South Sovereign playing at AMZ Stadium. You know, you, you know 6,000 people in a stadium that, that sits 70,000. It looks like 20 people. You know, you'd, you'd rather have 10,000 people in a stadium that sits 15 and it looks you know, two thirds full, and it, and you know, you've got an entire stand full, and it's rocking, and there's plenty of atmosphere, and all the rest of it. It just be. I've never really taken to the KC, um, having grown up with the Boulevard, um, and the thought of getting our own stadium back is is lovely, but I think it's like you say, it's it's pie in the sky, mate. It's a pipe dream. He, he was literally, he was just putting a shot across the bows there to the council. I think that's more than anything else. No, I I completely agree with that. It, it's. Fantasy land, didn't it? I mean, it's it's all good. Makes for a good conversation, absolutely. You can, uh, yeah, you get all hypothetical and you're getting, like I said, Cloud Cuckoo land and saying, yeah, it'd be absolutely fantastic for us to have something like Warrington with a massive side terrace that we could call the threatening so, stand. And, you know, 16,000 so. is about right. You just, that, I mean, Derby aside, we don't get anywhere near that anyway. You just give okay. Rovers less fans, less Robins I in could, the stadium. I could tell you right now, right? I, and I, I saw, I saw the, I saw the initial conversation. I didn't look at the comments underneath it when I saw it on social media, because I, 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 I knew what the comments had bloody said. But I can guarantee you, straight away, people came out and said, "Let's do it at Holton Price." Did they? Uh, it was Holton Price nearly Holton right? Price Costello was one. Costello, sorry, not Holton Price. Yeah, Costello, sorry, Costello Athletics right. Ground. Yeah, yeah, that was one. Um, 
yep or let's do it at um there'll be somewhere on st andrew's quay or somewhere like that you're not far off bed zion hessel road is that that predictable <laughs> that's because how predictable is a bloke ten thousand miles away can get it <laughs> because when we did when we did the whole thing with with david lloyd and all that crap was happening in the late 90s there were the same conversations going ahead then <laughs> let's go ground share boothry park let's go build somewhere at costello let's go build somewhere in st andrew's Key. let's go oh there's a place next to the a63 that's completely derelict let's go do something there let's do something underneath the humber bridge around there and stuff. it's just <laughs> do you know what i mean it, it, it's just history, history repeating is all it is funny it is funny we'll stop it um yeah. it, Crazy, but yeah, the, the K Com is the K Com. Don't get me wrong. When we've got eleven thousand people there on a Thursday night against Lee Centurions, there's terrible. a camp. Yeah, it is terrible. But I tell you what, you'll get. A, I won't even say a derby game. Like a massive game against. We've had tussles with Leeds, with Warrington, where we've yeah. had fifteen, sixteen, seventeen thousand people there, and the place is bouncing. I do think yeah. a lot of it comes from how Hull FC play. If you get a vibrant brand of rugby league, they excite you. And also the winning. People love winning. They love to follow a winning side. And when all yeah, start yeah. winning, that place can... You know, I remember through the cup winning years when, you know, I had some you know pretty decent, strong home form. Also the first half of 2018, I think it was up until yeah. June, we were unbeaten at home until Wigan yeah. beat us that yeah. day. Uh, it was a Sam Tonkin's drop goal that hit the crossbar, yeah. rebounded, he gathered yes. it and scored in the corner. I was like, jammy git. But, you know, yeah, the place was bouncing. It, it, it yeah. goes hand in hand, I think. And, you know, people also think the KCOM, commercially, what it's done in terms of hospitality, it put Hull FC up a yeah. level. The attendances totally. have gone from seven and a half at the Boulevard. So we average 11,000 minimum, and we have done for totally. 17 seasons. That's phenomenal. Do you know what? There's, there's a... there's a, and, and I'm sure you follow it, right? And, and he's probably, he probably listens to this and he'll hate me for it. But there's a, there's a, a Twitter account that's Memories of the Boulevard. Or something like that, and and all he does is 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 is, is every day there's a photograph of the boulevard, and underneath it says, "Wouldn't it be great to go back?" Right, that's exactly what it says every day, and no one ever likes it, no one ever comments on it. He just does it every day, right? And I, I look at it and I go, "No, I'd like something like it again, but I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to peeing on a." painted wall with a gully cut in the bottom of it and stinking a piss i don't want to go back to those gut rot burgers and the bloody bovril that shortened my life and scalded my mouth i don't want to go back to the worst bar i've ever seen in my life that stunk i don't want to go back to a place where the players had terrible terrible facilities and the away team's uh, dressing sheds were like a box i don't want to go back to standing um on an un, un you know um uncovered terrace freezing my tits off every week no i don't want to go back to having a manual scoreboard because that stuff's in the past and it's great we look back on it with misty eyes and everything but you know it's like we didn't win every game that peter sterling played we didn't play a fantastic brand of rugby every week week in week out under arthur bunting we look back at stuff with rose-colored spectacles because we had more success then than we've we've had since but it wasn't all champagne and roses every week. We still got beaten occasionally, you know. We, you know, the Boulevard was a shit hole. You know, it's the, the nicest thing to say. It was falling apart around us. You know, it would have cost us. It would have cost us just as much to redevelop it as, as the KC probably. Um, and yeah, it's sad, and yeah, it's history. But those days are gone. And we need to move forward now. Whether we move forward at the KC or we decide to strike out on our own because we've got a mystery benefactor because make no mistake about it 
if we go and build another stadium, it's going to cost 30 million, 40 million. And Adam Pearson hasn't got that kind of money. And, do you know, who's going to, who's going to, what fairy godmother's going to wave the magic wand and give him that amount of money to go and build a brand new stadium? No, exactly. And that's why we're bored on fantasy level. And I, I do get why people get misty eyed and they look, you sort of look back. Especially people like my dad, uh, he looks back on it. He grew up yeah. at the Boulevard, so obviously you did as yeah. well. And I mean, I was too, a ten-year-old yeah. lad when we left there, but I, I remember it like yeah. it was yesterday. And it, it was ours. It was a place we could call ours. It was our ground. There's so much history there, so many memories. And I get why people get yeah. misty-eyed and nostalgic about it. And I loved the place as a kid. Don't get me wrong, I absolutely yeah. loved it. But you, as a club, we've moved forward since then, and that's what I care about most: the club and how we've prospered and off the field at least. We're Seems to be in a really good position right now where I think I'm right in saying there's only us and Leeds that were solvent last year and that's in a COVID year, which is, you know, yeah. pretty incredible to say itself. And yeah. and obviously the KCON plays a part in that. I know obviously we only had was it four five games there last year, four of them with fans yeah. in, one one without and obviously yeah. it's a bit of a write off, but you know, historically speaking, prior to twenty twenty, we've you know, we've done okay there off the field with the tendency yeah. speaks think- for themselves. You're right. I think the worst thing is, is it's the fact that we have to share it with the soccer team. And therefore, you know, when when there's that portion of the season when we're both playing, it's not a great surface because grass is cut a lot shorter for, for um, soccer than it is for rugby league. And also we can't play on it for great portions because they'll want to reseed it and relay it and everything. That was the, never the case pre-Allum, though. No, 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 I know, I know, I know. It's because he's throwing his toys out of the bloody brand, that's what it yeah, is. Literally. Yeah, and he, and he cannot he cannot handle the fact that, you know, you've got the world game, you've got this, you know, the round ball game, which is apparently the best sport in the world, we think, and they're getting less people go to a game than, you know, a minority sport that's played along an M62 corridor in, in the north of England. And we're world famous for rugby league, and no one's ever heard of the soccer team apart from the two the two spells they've had in the Premier League. No, no one gives a crap about them worldwide. I never see a whole city shirt over here ever, ever. You know, but I've—I mean, I'm, literally, I was driving home from work the other night, and there was a bloke walking his dog in a whole shirt, and then he crashed the car. <laughs> um, and by the time I managed to find somewhere to turn around safely and come back, he disappeared. I'm gutted. And I'm like, what if he's only got one whole shirt? <laughs> what if he only wears it one time in fifteen, and I never see it again? <laughs> I'm, gutted. I'm practically putting on Facebook to the bloke walking a dog with the whole shirt I'd like to meet you it sounds like a bloody lonely arts column do you know what I mean but it's like you see that you see rugby league shirts over here all the time I bumped into a bloke wearing a Halifax shirt a couple of weeks ago I've never seen an old city shirt you know it's it's just it's one of those things mate where Alan will never get it neither him or his, or his son will ever get the fact that the city of Hull despite the fact it's a bloody big place, don't care as much about the soccer as they care about the rugby league. Sure, there'll be people that are fanatic, and sure, there'll be people that are glory hunters. But I think I, I said to you before, mate, growing up in the 80s, I never, if I was playing soccer in the park with my mates, I was Kenny Dalglish, or I was Ian Rush, or I was Kevin Keegan. I was never Billy Whitehurst, you know, or whoever the, the hit and hope third division soccer player was. I was always, I was always a rugby, you know, I was always either playing rugby league or if I was playing soccer, I'd pretend I was a Liverpool player or a Manchester United player or whatever. I, you know, the, the soccer didn't even cross my mind. Mate, the, the best way I can put it is you go on Twitter when Man United or Liverpool are playing and a yeah. lot of old fans support one of the two. And that, yes. that sums it up best for me. No one, there's not many that live and breathe Hull City that also breathe Hull no. FC. No. Or Hull Kingston no, Road. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And yeah, that, that's you, the way you're it dead is. right. 
you're dead right. When I, you know, like I said, when I was growing up, I didn't, I didn't know anybody that had a whole city shirt. Anybody. And there are plenty of people that have Liverpool shirts and Man United shirts or Everton shirts. Everton were big in the 80s. Or Spurs shirts. Do you know, I mean, I could, I could tell you right now, 10 people I went to school with, three of which are still mad keen Spurs um, supporters and post every day, every game Spurs. I've got two that are West Ham supporters, three that are Liverpool supporters, two Man United and one one Man City, straight away. Um, and I could tell you, I could tell you for certain, they've never been to a Hull City game, never. Or if they have, it was when Hull City were in the Premier League and when their team was playing them. And they'd go sit in the away end. <laughs> yeah, I can think of a few people that have done that. You know, it's, I mean, you know, we're world famous for our rugby league. We just need to please start winning games so that we we get the, the local people back and we become a force again. And that's what we need. Well, yeah, we just need a winning side and obviously an attractive brand of rugby, yeah. which we'll get under Bradshaw. And then obviously when the restrictions ease and we'll get fans back in the ground and hopefully things will come back to normal. Yeah, that's hope. Hope. That's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you.